The following podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Tale of the Manticore. Like the creature from which it takes its name, Tale of the Manticore is a mashup, a crossbreeding between two different species of storytelling. Here you will find the unpredictability of old school paper and dice games with the storycraft of a dark fantasy novel. No character is sacred and no character will be spared if the dice decide their fate is at hand. The dice determine all. According to lore, the tale of a manticore is barbed with cruel iron spikes. There will be much pain in the days ahead. Last time on Tale of the Manticore. In Chapter 31, the party comes across a second river and just in time. The party tries their luck at fishing and manages to catch a good-sized trout. It's enough to feed them all and stave off hunger for a while longer. They cross the river and soon discover a footpath with small muddy footprints. After some debate, they decide to follow it. Perhaps they will find something to help them complete the last, most dangerous leg of their journey. After a time, the path takes them to a vantage from which a distant structure can be seen. Gyrios recognizes it as a monastery. In a flashback, our party's cleric recalls his induction into the priesthood as an eight-year-old boy. Lastly, the party passes through a churchyard and then approaches the building that they now recognize as actually a convent through a fenced-off area. The presence of some dead animals in the yard makes them both cautious and curious in equal measure. Chapter 32 Part 1. Day 41. Morning. Party status. Harl. 16 of 16 hit points. Eridean. 12 of 12 hit points. Gyrios. 21 of 21 hit points. Umura. 13 of 13 hit points. Ursuleth. 4 of 4 hit points. Spells available. Umura has memorized Shield, Light, and Levitate. Gyrios has prayed for Purify Food and Water and Cure Light Wounds. The door swung open halfway with a protesting groan. Immediately, a sickly sweet smell like soured milk but mixed with something even worse hit them. Umura made a face but pushed the door the rest of the way open anyway and went inside. The others followed her. The stone walls of the convent made the interior cool and dark. They could see that a hallway stretched ahead of them and into the gloom, where it terminated in a heavy door bound with iron. The hall itself bore three other closed doors, all in a row, with plain, unbroken stone wall on the opposite side. One of the doors was just to their left. The second hallway stretched away to the right. Like the first hall, it had three doors, all on one side. The opposite wall was featureless, save for a few small window slits. Eridine was about to try the handle at the closest door when they heard a noise. It sounded as though someone had knocked over a cup or jar. 
They turned to the right in the direction of the sound and took a few tentative steps toward it. The sun lanced through the narrow windows in tight golden beams, painting the hall with banded light. Hello? Called Gyrios. His voice echoed down the empty stone corridor, but no one replied. Hello? We are simple travelers. Only silence answered. We, we are hoping to buy, to buy some food if you have any to spare. Nothing. Come on, said Harl. He stepped in front of the others and walked to the first door. He reached up to the latch, squeezed it, and pushed. The door swung inward, and the dwarf disappeared inside. Dining room. They heard him call out. Harl's companions followed him inside. Since it was too dark for the humans to see, Umura produced her lantern and struck a flame. When the lamp glow bloomed, they could see that Harl was right. They were in an eating area that could fit six people around a rough pine table. Two benches, also pine, were set to either side. Places were set at the table with forks, knives, spoons, and cloth napkins, but there were no bowls, plates, or cups. Apart from the table and benches, the room contained some stacked crates, a bucket, empty, save for some rags hanging over the edge, and a small framed painting of a young woman. It must have been the same person depicted on the gravestones. Once again, the artist had omitted the eyes. It was macabre, disquieting. Oh, the smell in this place is making me feel sick, said Umura. And, and this painting isn't helping. The clattering sound came again. It seemed to be coming from the next room over. Harl reached back for his axe, but Gyrios put up a hand to stop him. No, he said. If the priestesses are here, it would not do to frighten them by trespassing in their home with weapons drawn. Harl considered this wisdom for a moment and lowered his arm, holding up his empty palms to the cleric. As you wish, he said. The party returned to the hall and followed it for another ten feet until they came to the second door. Like the others, it was closed. Eridine put her ear to the wood and signaled her companions to be quiet for a moment. As a third-level thief, Eridine has the specific skill, Hear Noise. Assuming that there is anything to be heard, if she rolls a 1-3 to three on a die 6, she will succeed. She's rolled a 4. Eridine shook her head to indicate that she had not heard anything, and then drew back to allow Harl access to the door. The dwarf gripped the handle and pushed the door open. Harl stepped into a kitchen area. As the door opened, some small commotion occurred at the far end of the room. Harl could see a large fireplace in that direction, but nothing then moved. The dwarf continued warily, checking his flank as he did so. This room was obviously the source of at least part of the terrible smell in the convent. By the fireplace were a pair of stockpots full of what could only be soured goat's milk and curds. Miscellaneous cheese-making equipment was arranged here and there. Bowls, ladles, a pair of colanders, numerous measuring cups, spoons, and cheesecloth cut into squares and stacked in short piles on a counter. In addition, there was plenty of basic cooking equipment hanging from hooks on the wall and arranged upon shelves. The room also featured a high work table without chairs. The dimensions of the room were identical to the last, roughly 20 feet wide and 50 feet long. Gyrios and the others filed in behind Harl. Umura gagged and then held up her lantern while Eridine watched the rear and Harl, with thumb and finger pinching his nose, moved to the far end. I think that noise came from the fireplace, he said. At his voice, the sound came again, a kind of scuttling sound this time. 
it definitely originated from the fireplace. This time, Harl would not be dissuaded. He drew his axe with his free hand and closed the distance to the room's far end. He frowned as he walked past the table. Piles of putrefied food were right at his eye level. It appeared that a meal had been prepared, but then just abandoned to rot. There were three loaves of bread, now covered in bluish-white growth, and two large rounds of soft cheese, likewise furry with mold. There was a pot of what might have once been stew, and a bowl of withered apples. I'm not sure I could stand the smell much longer, said Umura weakly. Eridine had already backed out into the hall, where she was bent over, dry heaving. <coughs> Something is very wrong here, said Girius. Where is everyone? The cleric palmed his little owl figurine in one hand. In the other, he held the golden coin that was his holy symbol. Umura, hold that light for a moment, said Harl, peering into the fireplace. Umura did as Harl asked, and the room went dark. As the humans' unease grew, the two dwarves acclimatized to the lack of light, and presently, Harl announced, hmm, As I thought, this is a double fireplace. There's an identical opening and grate on the other side. Maybe it's a second kitchen, I don't know. But I can see clear through to the next room, as well as up the chimney. Harl scratched his beard. All right, Umura, I won't ask you to stay in the dark any longer. He didn't have to say it twice and the humans breathed a sigh of relief as their vision returned. That's it, said Harl. I'm not going to pussyfoot around here anymore. If someone's in there, Harl called into the next room through the fireplace opening, you best make yourself known. Without waiting for a reply, Harl walked past the others down to the end of the hall and pushed open the last door. Aha, I see you now. Hi, I'm Tom, and I want to tell you about Tales of Mistara, a podcast that mixes storytelling with old-school pen and paper games. Tales of Mistara is a D&D game, but without players or a dungeon master. There is only me, the rules, and the dice. Join me on your Apple, Google, or Amazon podcast app, or talesofmistara.podbean.com as I tell my story, where nothing is precious, no one is safe from the roll of the dice. Dramatis Personae, Gyrios. Gyrios had been in his new home barely two hours when he was instructed by one of the brethren, Brother Lem, to attend his first lesson in the Priory. Brother Lem was not the only monk he'd met. He had been introduced to all eleven brothers at once. Gyrios struggled to remember their names. Other than Brother Lem, he could remember a Brother Price, a Brother Jamis, and a Brother Bryon. The other names had slipped away. He would have to ask for them again later. Brother Lem, who at age 16 had been the youngest of the monks until Gyrios arrived, seemed to have been tasked with conducting the new member's orientation. Gyrios was led down this hallway and that, Follow me, boy. up a flight of stairs, shown his shared dormitory where he was instructed to leave a small pack of belongings, and then given a full tour of the grounds. The monastery of the Brotherhood of the Scroll was not especially large, but to the eight-year-old Gyrios it had seemed enormous. By the time they'd returned to the dormitory he was thoroughly lost. Of course, before long, every stone would become familiar, but on that day, everything felt huge and alien. 
Brother Lem had asked the overwhelmed Gyrios if he needed anything, or if he needed to make water. Gyrios had needed to make water, but for some reason he found himself saying he was fine. So Brother Lem had escorted him to the Priory, knocked twice on the door, and departed. As he left, he told Gyrios to wait patiently to be admitted. A full ten minutes passed before the door opened, and once again Gyrios found himself in the presence of Prior Imril. Come inside, Brother Gyrios. Gyrios entered the Priory, peered around, and gasped. There must have been a thousand books in the room. Each wall was completely dominated by a bookshelf, and each bookshelf was filled to bursting with tomes of all sizes, scroll cases, loose scrolls, statuettes, figurines, and other curios. Apart from the bookshelves, which seemed to silently groan under the weight of their contents, there was also a writing desk and two upholstered leather chairs. These were the only things Gyrios had seen in the whole monastery that might be called comfortable or luxurious. Over time, this room would become Gyrios' favorite place, and Prior Imril would become his favorite person. The room was lit by a strange device. Upon the writing desk was an odd kind of candlestick. It had four fluted legs that came together in a base of heavy silver and then rose to where they terminated in a kind of bowl. In the bowl, perfectly fitted, was a sphere that glowed evenly with a warm light. Do you like this lamp, Gyrios? It was made by an artist who worshipped Masigar, as we do. It is blessed, Gyrios, and, like the light of our savior, it will never go out. Gyrios's face was slack with awe. Prior Imril smiled and motioned to a chair. Please, my boy, take a seat, for today we begin your first lesson. Gyrios took a seat, and the leather made a little creaking sound. Opposite him, Prior Imril lowered his bulk into the other chair and sighed. For today, I only wish to get to know you a little better. I know. Tell me about your dog, Gyrios. His name is Olig, named for Saint Olig of the Knots, if I remember correctly. Was, muttered Gyrios, suddenly feeling the loss of his friend and pet once again. Come again? Prior Imril was confused. Perhaps he had misheard. Was repeated Gyrios, looking up. Oli died two days ago. Oh, my poor boy, Imril soothed. No wonder you seem so sad. It is a terrible thing to lose someone we love, Gyrios. But perhaps I can share a few words that might help you to bear the loss. Gyrios kept looking at the prior. His lower lip trembled just a little. Does it hurt to die? He asked. Your friend Oli is gone from this world, but his spirit lives on. And no, dying does not hurt, and so the wise do not fear it. Perhaps there will be a lesson for today, after all. Listen well. We are never where death is, and death is never where we are. Death and life, with only one exception, never coexist. A thing cannot be and not be at the same time. It is the same with death, and so we never experience it. Doesn't that make you feel better? Gyrios sniffed, and Prior Imril waited patiently while the boy thought for a moment in silence before replying. A little, but you said there is an exception. What did you mean by that? Well, um... Imril began, looking a little awkward now. Death and life can occupy the same space in certain rare cases, where a person becomes cursed or if dark magic is used against them. But this is rare, and it is extremely unlikely that you should ever have to witness it, 
most people never do, but it can happen. How does somebody become cursed? Asked Gyrios, leaning forward. Can dogs become cursed? Oh no, I don't think so, no. A curse may befall a person in several ways. All of them, as I say, are rare, mind you. But how? Pressed Gyrios. Well, let's say that somebody committed a very evil deed, an act of supreme blasphemy, and they did it in a holy place, like a church or, well, a place like this, a holy monastery. Now, don't you worry. I can see that you are worried. This deed would have to be terribly, horrendously evil. It could not happen by accident, nor could it happen by some simple lapse of judgment. Gyrios, I am trying to tell you that nothing bad will happen to you. I promise. And nothing bad will happen to Oli either, right? Gyrios's innocence was too sweet for the prior, and he broke out into a grin that stretched from ear to ear. And nothing will happen to Oli, he confirmed. Now, let's talk about something else, shall we? Hmm, I know. Gyrios, what kind of books do you like best? Chapter 32 Part 2 Day 41 Morning Party status The party status is unchanged. Harl pushed open the door. Aha! I see you now! He exclaimed. The fat brown rat on the central work table saw him too and bolted. As the rodent fled, it upended several beakers and crashed through a pile of dried plants, which puffed out a little white dust when disturbed. Before escaping up the chimney, it managed to knock a top-heavy alembic of glass from its spindly base. The device shattered upon striking the stone floor, sending brass rings, fasteners, bits of glass tubing, bits of glass bulb, and some mysterious goopy green contents flying. Oops, said Harl, wincing at the noise. That'll take some doing to clean up. He stuck his head back into the corridor. It's all right, just a rat, that's all. Made quite a mess though, I'm afraid. Gyrios's shoulders were up around his ears. The explosion had scared him half to death. Nobody moved. A full minute, they waited for something to happen, for someone to come. But no one did. Let's close this door, he said, pulling it shut. By Mazagar, that is an unpleasant odor. More, called an unseen Harl. This room might be suited to your particular expertise. Umura and the others entered a third room of the same 20 by 50 foot dimensions. As Harl had noted before, this room had a fireplace placed back to back with the one in the kitchen. Also like in the last room, this one was dominated by a work table. However, instead of foodstuffs and cheese making equipment, this room seemed devoted to the practice of alchemy. A lone high window slit shone down light upon a vast array of beakers, jars, glass tubes, glass vials, steel pots, tongs, spoons, and a dozen other tools of the craft. Dried herbs hung from rings fastened to the wall at intervals. Careful where you step, warned Harl. There's broken glass everywhere. Gyrios took an unconscious half-step back, remembering his injury under the ruined tower several weeks before. His foot still hurt sometimes where the glass had cut him. Umura carefully entered to stand next to the dwarf, who was putting his axe away. Hmm, let's see. I recognize some of these plants. Sweet flag, gentian root, a popanax, and... This is Shepherd's Purse, the same flower we saw on that gravestone outside. I should have recognized it earlier. Hmm. 
Umura can make an intelligence check here to see if she recognizes what the Sisters of Hope were concocting. She'll need to roll a 17 or under on a d20 to succeed. I could give her a little bonus for having recently studied an alchemy book. Nah, we'll just make this a straight roll. She's super smart and doesn't need my charity, right? She's rolled a 10. She knows exactly what this is. Carl, step back. Don't touch anything. The dwarf responded immediately, recoiling from the mess on the floor as though it were a pit of snakes. Let me by. Umura moved past the dwarf and crouched down on the floor. She moved carefully so as not to disturb any of the broken glass. Harl, hand me one of the small vials from the table. One of the what? asked the dwarf. Vials, bottles. Hand me one with a stopper. The dwarf handed over the requested item. What is it? asked Gyrios from the doorway. Poison? No, no, not at all. Quite the opposite, replied Umora. This is Mithridaticum Elixir, or it was Mithridaticum Elixir, except for... Umura let the word hang in the air as, ever so gently, she pinched a little piece of the shattered Alembic between her thumb and forefinger. It was the bottom of the device, a concave, bowl-shaped piece of glass, and it still held a few ounces of the mixture. Carefully, carefully, Umura transferred the contents to the vial Harl had given her. When she was done, her chest rose and fell heavily. She'd been holding her breath. Except for this, she exclaimed triumphantly. The other members of the party were nonplussed. They didn't yet appreciate what they were looking at. Umura explained, Mithridaticum elixir is one of the most precious liquids on Merith. An amount like this is worth somewhere in the neighborhood of 500 gold pieces. This little vial is a treasure. Mithridaticum elixir is an anti-venom. It can cure any type of poison known. Any type. Can you imagine what that might be worth to the right person? Had this Alembic not fallen and smashed, the contents would have been worth a king's ransom. A king's ransom, lost to a rat, laughed Harl. Umura laughed a little too, only because she would have cried otherwise. Well, at least we have this. She stoppered the vial and slipped it into her bag. Among the alchemical equipment were a few pieces of parchment with formulae and recipes. Umura collected these as well, careful not to step in the broken glass. The only other thing of interest in the room was a heavy iron-bound door on the opposite side. Given the large padlock on it and the shattered glass on the floor, the party decided to investigate elsewhere for now. They headed back down the corridor, now with Eridine leading the way. They reached the door through which they had entered, and Eridine moved to the first of the other set of three doors. She put her ear against it and gave the familiar signal to the others to stand quietly while she listened. Once again, the young rogue shook her head to indicate that she had heard nothing from within. She squeezed the door handle and pushed it open. The room beyond was a 20 by 20 foot square. Unlike the previous part of the convent, this room was filled with sunlight that entered through a window set with iron bars in the south wall. The view beyond was lovely. On a day like this, it showed a panorama over the foothills to a wooded area. On a clearer day, the sisters who lived here would have been able to see all the way to the thin band of blue that was the sea. The room was clearly a dormitory of some kind. It contained three small beds. Looking at the beds made the three humans of the group ache with a longing for comfort. There was also a writing desk and three small footlockers. On the wall were some empty pegs that might have been used for hanging cloaks. The writing desk had a small leather-bound book on it. The title read, 66 Prayers to Hanavi. Gyrios picked it up. Oh, I should have known, he said, chiding himself. 
Hanavi, the blind maiden of hope. Her followers are all female. They pledge a life of worship to the goddess, healing to the sick and comfort to the dying. This religion is rarely seen here, in our lands. Respectfully, he returned the book to the desk. They moved on to the next door. Eridine put her ear to this one as well. Again, she heard nothing. She opened the door. Even though she could barely speak, the others heard her gasp in surprise and watched her stumble back into the hall. A terrible smell of rotting meat followed her. Eridine blinked repeatedly, waving a hand in front of her face, trying to banish a vision that would not leave her eyes. What is it, Eridine? Harl had his axe in hand and pushed past her into the room. By Grunlock, what has happened here? Regardless of what he's found on the other side of the door, today is a good day for Harl, because today he achieves level 3. It's unfortunate that the BX rules do not award dwarves any kind of attack bonus, either at level 2 or 3, withholding a more significant leap in power until level 4. So we'll have to wait and hope that Harl can survive a little while longer before that happens. A reminder, in Tale of the Manticore, level 2 is earned by surviving 10 episodes, level 3 is reached after an additional 12, and level 4 after yet another 12. But let's deal with the here and now. Harl gets new hit points, and he also gets a chance for stat increases. With no constitution bonus, it's a straight d8 for the hit points. I will allow Harl to min out at half, and just like the monsters and NPCs in Tale of the Manticore, I will round up if he does. By the way, in case you are wondering why I didn't round up for Umura when she minned out at level 3 back in episode 23, I figured that she's really not built for fighting, it didn't make sense for her, but it does for Harl. So let's get rolling. I got a 5. Well, that's not great, but it helps. Taking him from 16 to 21 hit points. That's the same as Gyrios, incidentally. Now for stat increases. A 6 on a d6 indicates an improvement of 1 on the stat in question. We start with strength. A 1. Not a great start. Intelligence. Another 1. Wisdom. 3. Dexterity. Harl currently has a score of 7. An increase here will not remove his penalty, but it will get him partway out of the hole. The roll. Just a 3. Constitution. A 5. Charisma. A 2. Well, between the mediocre hit point roll and the lack of stat increase, it seems that fate is feeling stingy today. Ah, well you can't always get what you want, can you? But hopefully Harl has gotten what he will need. With the situation he and the others are about to face, I hope it will be enough. Oh, and one more thing. Many episodes in the past I wondered aloud about what the chances were of rolling a 6 on a 66. I invited listeners with a stronger, um, numerical affinity to write in and let me know. I got a bunch of emails. Most of them agreed that the chance of rolling a 6, if you roll a d6 6 times, is 66.6%. Thanks to everyone who wrote in with an answer. Well, let's get back to our story. Chapter 32 Part 3 Day 41 Morning Party status Harl 21 of 21 hit points Eridine 16 of 16 Gyrios 21 of 21 Umura 13 of 13 Ursuleth, 4 of 4. Spells available. Umura has memorized Shield, Light, and Levitate. 
Gyrios has prayed for. Purify food and water. And cure light wounds. By Grunmog, what has happened here? Harl was backing out of the room in shock as Erdine had done. His face was screwed up in horror and confusion. Now the smell of rotting meat had reached the others. Umura put up a hand to cover her nose. What is in that room, Master Dwarf? asked Gyrios. A tragedy. Thank you for listening to Tale of the Manticore. If you've enjoyed the show and would like to lend your support, please consider spreading the word on social media or leaving a review on the podcatcher of your choice. My sincere gratitude to everyone who has left a rating or review so far. These things really make a difference by helping the show to reach a wider audience. I've let this episode run a little long, so I'll keep the sign-off brief. Very special thanks is due to Jose of the RPG Tips YouTube channel for voicing Prior Imril once again. If you haven't checked out RPG Tips yet, you're really missing out. If you'd like to get in touch with me, I can be found on Twitter at Manticore Tale and Tale of the Manticore Podcast on Instagram. Email is always an option too. My address is taleofthemanticore at gmail.com. The adventure will continue next time on Tale of the Manticore, the story where chaos rolls. Welcome to a world of myth and legends, inspired by the mythos of the Silk Roads. A place of wonder and mystery, where the tales of heroes aren't being sung, they're being made. Welcome to Erion Well. You can experience the world in whichever way suits you. If you prefer self-contained short-form podcasts with a rotating cast, check out our Earth Sembers podcast. If you'd like a full campaign, then tune into Blood and Song, now available as a micro-podcast. Join us at www.earthsembers.com for more details on both. And may the Great Mother guide you in all that you do.